The Autobiography of Goethe, Volume 1, by Johann von Goethe, translated by John Oxenford, Section 26. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Autobiography of Goethe, Volume 1 by Johann von Goethe, translated by John Oxenford, section 26. I went in search of my shoemaker, and soon found him in the suburb Vorstadt. He received me in a friendly manner, sitting upon my stool, and said, smiling, after he had read the letter, I see from this, young sir, that you are a whimsical Christian how so master i replied no offence meant by whimsical he continued one calls every one so who is not consistent with himself and i call you a whimsical christian because you acknowledge yourself a follower of our lord in one thing but not in another on my requesting him to enlighten me he said further it seems that your view is to announce glad tidings to the poor and lowly that is good and this imitation of the lord is praiseworthy but you should reflect besides that he rather sat down to table with prosperous rich folks where there was good fare and that he himself did not despise the sweet scent of the ointment for which you will find the opposite in my house this pleasant beginning put me at once in good humour and we rallied each other for some time his wife stood doubting how she should board and lodge such a guest on this point too he had notions which referred not only to the bible but also to gottfried's chronicle and when we were agreed that i was to stay i gave my purse such as it was into the charge of my hostess and requested her to furnish herself from it if anything should be necessary when he would have declined it and somewhat waggishly gave me to understand that he was not so burned out as he might appear i disarmed him by saying even if it were only to change water into wine such a well-tried domestic resource would not be out of place since there are no more miracles nowadays the hostess seemed to find my conduct less and less strange we had soon accommodated ourselves to each other and spent a very merry evening he remained always the same because all flowed from one source his peculiarity was an apt common sense which rested upon a cheerful disposition and took delight in uniform habitual activity that he should labor incessantly was his first and most necessary care that he regarded everything else as secondary this kept up his comfortable state of mind and i must reckon him before many others in the class of those who are called practical unconscious philosophers footnote practici philosophen bubustols weltwissen it is impossible to give two substantives as in the original since this is affected by using first the word of greek then the word of german origin whereas we have but one translator end of footnote 
the hour when the gallery was to be opened appeared after having been expected with impatience i entered into this sanctuary and my astonishment surpassed every contemplation which i had formed this room returned into itself in which splendor and neatness reigned together with the deepest stillness the dazzling frames all nearer to the time in which they had been gilded the floor polished with beeswax the spaces more trodden by spectators than used by copyists imparted a feeling of solemnity unique of its kind which so much more resembled the sensation with which one treads a church as the adornments of so many a temple the objects of so much adoration seemed here again set up only for the sacred purpose of art i readily put up with the cursory description of my guide only i requested that i might be allowed to remain in the outer gallery here to my comfort i felt really at home i had already seen the works of several artists others i knew from engravings others by name i did not conceal this and i thus inspired my conductor with some confidence nay the rapture which i expressed at pieces where the pencil had gained the victory over nature delighted him for such were the things which principally attracted me and where the comparison with known nature must necessarily enhance the value of art when i again entered my shoemaker's house for dinner i scarcely believed my eyes for i fancied i saw before me a picture by olstadt so perfect that all it needed was to be hung up in the gallery the position of the objects the light the shadow the brownish tint of the hall the magical harmony everything that one admires in those pictures i here saw in reality it was the first time that i perceived in so high a degree the faculty which i afterwards exercised with more consciousness namely that of seeing nature with the eyes of this or that artist to whose works i had devoted a particular attention this faculty has afforded me much enjoyment but has also increased the desire zealously to abandon myself from time to time to the exercise of a talent which nature seemed to have denied me i visited the gallery at all permitted hours and continued to express too loudly the ecstasy with which i beheld many precious works i thus frustrated my laudable purpose of remaining unknown and unnoticed and whereas only one of the unclerk keepers had hitherto had intercourse with me the gallery inspector councillor Rydal, now also took notice of me and called my attention to many things which seemed chiefly to lie within my sphere i found this excellent man just as active and obliging then as when i afterwards saw him during many years and as he shows himself to this day his image has for me interwoven itself so closely with those treasures of art that i can never regard the two apart the resemblance of him has even accompanied me to italy where in many large and rich collections his presence would have been very desirable since even with strangers and unknown persons one cannot gaze on such works silently and without mutual sympathy nay since the first sight of them is rather adapted in the highest degree to open hearts toward each other i got there into conversation with a young man who seemed to be residing at dresden 
and to belong to some embassy he invited me to come in the evening to an inn where a lively company met and where by each one's paying a moderate reckoning one could pass some very pleasant hours i repaired thither but did not find the company and the waiter somewhat surprised me when he delivered the compliments of the gentleman who made the appointment with me by which the letter sent an excuse for coming somewhat later with the addition that i must not take offence at anything that might occur also that i should have nothing to pay beyond my own score i knew not what to make of these words my father's cobwebs came into my head and i composed myself to await whatever might befall the company assembled my acquaintance introduced me and i could not be attentive long without discovering that they were aiming at the mystification of a young man who showed himself a novice by an obstreperous assuming deportment i therefore kept very much on my guard so that they might not find delight in selecting me as his fellow at table this intention became more apparent to everybody except to himself they drank more and more deeply and when a vivat in honor of sweethearts was started every one solemnly swore that there should never be another out of those glasses they flung them behind them and this was a signal for far greater follies at last i withdrew very quietly and the waiter while demanding quite a moderate amount requested me to come again as they did not go on so wildly every evening i was far from my lodging and it was near midnight when i reached them i found the doors unlocked everybody was in bed and one lamp illuminated the narrow domestic household where my eye more and more practised immediately perceived the finest picture by schalken from which i should not tear myself away so that it banished me from all sleep the few days of my residence in dresden were slowly devoted to the picture gallery the antiquities still stood in the pavilion of the great garden but i declined seeing them as well as all the other precious things which dresden contained being but too full of the conviction that even in and about the collection of paintings much must yet remain hidden from me thus i took the excellence of the italian masters more on trust and in faith than by pretending to any insight into them what i could not look upon as nature but in the place of nature and compare with a known object was without effect upon me it is the material impression which makes the beginning even to every more elevated taste with my shoemaker i lived on very good terms he was witty and varied enough and we often outvied each other in merry conceits nevertheless a man who thinks himself happy and desires others to do the same makes us discontented indeed the repetition of such sentiments produces weariness i found myself well occupied entertained excited but by no means happy and the shoes from his last would not fit me we parted however as the best friends and even my hostess on my departure was not satisfied with me shortly before my departure something else very pleasant was to happen by the mediation of that young man who wished to somewhat regain his credit with me 
I was introduced to the director von Hagedorn, who with great kindness showed me his collection, and was highly delighted with the enthusiasm of the young lover of art. He himself, as becomes a connoisseur, was quite peculiarly in love with the pictures which he possessed, and therefore seldom found in others an interest such as he wished. It gave him particular satisfaction that I was so excessively pleased with the picture of Schwanefeld, and that I was not tired of praising and extolling it in every single part. For landscapes, which again reminded me of the beautiful clear sky under which I had grown up, of the vegetable luxuriance of those spots, and of whatever other favors a warmer climate offers to man, were just the things that most affected me by the imitation, while they awakened in me a longing resemblance. These delightful experiences, preparing both mind and sense for true art, were nevertheless interrupted and damped by one of the most melancholy sights, by the destroyed and desolate condition of so many of the streets of Dresden through which I took my way. The Mohrenstrasse in ruins, the church Kruskirke of the cross, with its shattered tower, impressed themselves deeply upon me, and still stand like a gloomy spot in my imagination. From the cupola of the Lady Church, Frankirke, I saw these pitiable ruins scattered about amid the beautiful order of the city. Here the clerk commended to me the art of the architect, who had already fitted up church and cupola for so desirable an event, and had built them bomb-proof. The good sacristan then pointed out to me the ruins on all sides, and said doubtfully and laconically, the enemy hath done this. At last, though very loath, I returned to Leipzig, and found my friends, who were not used to such digressions in me, in great astonishment, busied with all sorts of conjectures as to what might be the import of my mysterious journey. When, upon this, I told them my story quite in order, they declared it was only a made-up tale, and sagaciously tried to get at the bottom of the riddle, which I had been waggish enough to conceal under my shoemaker lodgings. But could they have looked into my heart, they would have discovered no waggery there, for the truth of an old proverb, quote, he that increaseth knowledge increaseth sorrow, end quote, had struck me with all its force and the more I struggled to arrange and appropriate to myself what I had seen, the less I succeeded. I had at last to content myself with the silent after-operation. Ordinarily life carried me away again, and I at last felt myself quite comfortable when a friendly intercourse, improvement in branches of knowledge which were suitable to me, and a certain practice of the hand, engaged me in a manner less important, but more in accordance with my strength. Very pleasant and wholesome for me was the connection I formed with the Breitkopf family, Bernhard Christoph Breitkopf, the proper founder of the family, who had come to Leipzig as a poor journeyman printer, was yet living and occupied the Golden Bear, a respectable house in the new Newmarket, with Gottsched as an inmate. The son, Johann Gottlob, 
Emmanuel, had already been long married and was the father of many children. They thought they could not spend a part of their considerable wealth better than in putting up opposite the first house a large new one, the Silver Bear, which they built higher and more expensive than the original house itself. Just at the time of the building I became acquainted with the family. The eldest son, who might have been some years older than I, was a well-formed young man, devoted to music and practiced to play skillfully on both the piano and the violin. The second, a true good soul, likewise musical, enlivened the concerts which were often got up, no less than his elder brother. They were both kindly disposed towards me, as well as their parents and sisters. I lent them a helping hand during the building up and the finishing, the furnishing and the moving in, and thus formed a conception of much that belongs to such an affair. I also had an opportunity of seeing Oser's instructions put in practice. In the new house, which I had thus seen erected, I was often a visitor. We had many pursuits in common, and the eldest son set some of my songs to music, which, when printed, bore his name, but not mine and have been little known. I have selected the best and inserted them among my other little poems. The father had invented or perfected musical type. He granted me the use of a fine library, which related principally to the origin and progress of printing, and thus I gained some knowledge in that department. I found there, moreover, good copper plates, which exhibited antiquity, and advanced on this side also my studies which were still further promoted by the circumstances that a considerable collection of casts had fallen into disorder in moving. I set them right again as well as I could, and in doing so was compelled to search Leeper and other authorities. A physician, Dr. Reichel, likewise an inmate of the house, I consulted from time to time when I felt, if not sick, yet unwell and thus we led together a quiet, pleasant life. I was now to enter into another sort of connection in this house, for the copper-plate engraver, Stock, had moved into the attic. He was a native of Nuremberg, a very industrious man, and in his labors precise and methodical. He also, like Geiser, engraved, after Ulcer's designs, larger and smaller plates, which came more and more into vogue for novels and poems. He etched very neatly so that his work came out of the aquafortis, almost finished, and but little touching up remained to be done with the graver, which he handled very well. He made an exact calculation how long the plate would occupy him, and nothing could call him off from his work if he had not completed the daily task he had set himself. Thus he sat working by a broad table, by the great gable, a window, in a very neat and orderly chamber, where his wife and two daughters afforded him a domestic society. Of these last, one is happily married, and the other is an excellent artist. They have continued my friends all my life long. I now divided my time between the upper and lower stories, and attached myself much to the man, who, together with his persevering industry, possessed an excellent humor and a good nature itself. The technical neatness from this branch of art charmed me, 
and I associated myself with him to execute something of the kind. My predilection was again directed towards landscape, which, while it amused me in my solitary walks, seemed in itself more attainable and more comprehensible for works of art than the human figure, which discouraged me. Under his direction, therefore, I etched, after Thaley and others, various landscapes, which, although executed by an unpractised hand, produced some effect, and were well received. The grounding, parenthesis, varnishing, in parenthesis, of the plates, and putting into the lights, the etching, at last the biting with aqua fortis, gave me variety of occupation, and soon got so far that I could assist my master in many things. I did not lack the attention necessary for the biting, and I seldom failed in anything, but I had not care enough in guarding against the deleterious vapors which are generated on such occasions, and these may have contributed to the maladies which afterwards troubled me for so long. Amid such labors, lest anything could be left untried, I often made woodcuts also. I prepared various little printing blocks after French patterns, and many of them were found fit for use. Let me here make mention of some other men who resided in Leipzig, or tarried there for a short time. Weiss, the custom-house collector of the district, in his best years cheerful, friendly, and obliging, was loved and esteemed by us. We could not, indeed, allow his theatrical pieces to be models throughout, but we suffered ourselves to be carried away by them, and his operas, set to music by Hiller, in an easy style, gave us much pleasure. Schiebler, of Hamburg, pursued the same track, and his Lussard and Dariolette was likewise favored by us. Eichenberg, a handsome young man, but little older than we were, distinguished himself advantageously among the students. Zakaria was pleased to spend some weeks with us, and being introduced by his brother, dined every day with us at the same table. We rightly deemed it an honor to gratify our guest in turn, by a few extra dishes, a richer dessert, and choicer wine. For, as a tall, well-formed, comfortable man, he did not conceal his love of good eating. Lessing came at a time when we had I know not what in our heads. It was our good pleasure to go nowhere on his account, nay, even to avoid the places to which he came, probably because we thought ourselves too good to stand at a distance, and could make no pretension to obtain a closer intimacy with him. This momentary absurdity, which, however, is nothing rare in presuming and freakish youth, proved indeed its own punishment in the sequel for I have never set eyes on that eminent man who was most highly esteemed by me. Notwithstanding all our efforts relative to art and antiquity, we each of us always had Winkelmann before our eyes, whose ability was acknowledged in his country with enthusiasm. We read his writings diligently, and tried to make ourselves acquainted with the circumstances under which he had written the first of them. We found in them many views which seemed to have originated with Ulcer, even jests and whims after his fashion, and we did not rest until we had formed some general conception of the occasion on which these remarkable and sometimes so enigmatical writings had arisen, though we were not very accurate. 
for youth likes better to be excited than instructed and it was not the last time that i was to be indebted to sibylline leaves for an important step in cultivation end of section twenty six